Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. We're going to now jump back into the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 22. Last week we covered communion, coming to the table, recognizing what God has done, is doing, and will yet do for us as we partake of His body broken for us, His blood shed for us. We do this in remembrance of Him. And this was the last instructions, basically, that uh, we've got generally for the church, uh, in, in addition to going out and baptizing everybody, right, to, to do communion and, and to get baptized. And last week, we, we left off with uh, the, at the table, as dinner was ended, or ending, Jesus says, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now Peter, writing, uh, or re preaching I should say, on the day of Pentecost, Luke recording it in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, said that all of this that we're reading right now was done by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Jesus knew what this supper meant. Jesus knew what this evening with the disciples meant. Jesus knew what the next 24 hours would mean. It would mean that our sins would be bought and paid for by His blood on the cross. And Jesus knows all of this as He's coming through this meal. And He says, my betrayer, His hand is on the table with me. And as we move from the table, we start moving into trials. These trials are going to culminate in a throne. But today, we're going to be in a, in a pack of trials that are going on. In verse 24 in Luke, we, we ran over it last week. I told you I was going to back up and we're going to touch on it just a little bit more. But we read, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Now, this is not the only time they've had this question come up. Back in chapter 9 in verse 6, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, right? And, and Jesus said, unless you become as a child, unless you become like one of these, you might no means may enter the kingdom of God. And Matthew and Mark also report or record incidents where this seems to be the thing they keep falling back on. It's rather in interesting to me between verse 23 and 24, the juxtaposition, the way that God has put these two things together as Luke will record it. Here's all the disciples at the table. <gasps> Lord, is it I? And this moment of deep introspection, searching our hearts. Could there be anything that wicked in me? that I would betray my Lord, this treachery, this treason. Oh, I can't imagine that being possible. And in one verse later, <coughs> I think I'm better than you. Do you see that? 
There's a bit of humor there, right? Um, but this is it. As soon as they're, they're, oh, is it me? Is it me? Man. And they start looking at each other, right? I don't know who it is. Is it I? And wondering who it is. They're not going to know who it is. Not this evening. That, well, later this evening, middle of the night, uh, they'll know that it's Judas who is betraying Jesus. But this dispute arises over greatness. And, and, and great. what is great? What is great? Okay, great is better than good, right? Or great is the big, big pile or whatever, or, or whatever. Greatness, in, by world standards, greatness is fame and fortune, prestige and power and uh, money, right? Position. Interesting in this idea of who's the greatest, Judas had position. He had prestige. He's one of the 12 apostles. He has power. He has money. He's been stealing from the money box. He's, he's great by world standards. And yet, we're going to see once again, Jesus will need to teach them that he would be great in the kingdom of God, must be a servant of all, least, last, servant, slave. This is not the world's idea of greatness. But it's just like John the Baptist, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, Jesus would say. John himself would say, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandal strap. I can't even bow down and perform the, the task of a slave for him. I must decrease. I must become nothing. That he becomes everything. John understood that, but the disciples seems like they're working through it a little bit. And one of the things I'm going to kind of spin on this morning, it's me kind of taking the scriptures and giving it a little handle, maybe, is that the greatest is not the one with the most power. I would propose the greatest is the one who is the best pourer. P-O-U-R, pourer, okay? As we're going to see Jesus pour out his life, and we will learn to that idea of emptying ourselves. That's the path to greatness, to be the best poorer, okay? So, that's my little play on words. Um, he goes on to say, verse 25, And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, right? It's a neat Fancy title. Oh, there goes Mike the Benefactor. Oh, yeah. He must be very phil philanthropic. He must be just really generous. He might, why, why do they call him a doer of good, right? That's, that's the reputation they're looking for. Jesus says in verse 26, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, lower in status, position, prestige, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table, and they're still sitting at the table arguing about who's going to be greatest, and Judas is still there with them. Or he who serves. Is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as one who serves. Interesting, you could argue the point 
they were arguing about greatness, it would seem to me, and I'm sure it's probably crossed many of your minds, that's a no-brainer. Who at the table is the greatest? Jesus, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm sitting here at the table, and yet here he gets up and he girds himself and he washes their feet. He, he stoops to that position of servanthood, the, the, the job of a slave, giving of himself, pouring himself out for him. And he's telling him the path up is down. It's humility, okay, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's the path. It's a simple path. Verse 28, now we are moving away from the table and into the trial, but though you are those who have continued with me in my trials. This implies that Jesus has already been through trials. We know he's just been through a week of interrogation, the inspection of the lamb, seeing if there's any spot or blemish in this lamb of God, Messiah, who is destined to take away the sins of the world, and he's passed with flying colors, but nevertheless, he's been grilled and drilled, and already there's a warrant out, not only for his arrest, but that uh, they could uh, put him to death. And, and, and this isn't the beginning of his trials. From the day that he was born, he was born illegitimate. He didn't have... Uh, a father in the natural sense. His parents weren't yet married. They hadn't consummated the marriage vows when Mary became pregnant of the Holy Spirit. And his whole life has been a trial. And now he's gathered those that would say, you know what? I know who you are. And I know that you have suffered all the things that are common to men, yet without sin. I'm going to throw my lot in with you. He says, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, a table yet to come. We read about this in the book of Revelation, the wedding banquet of the Lamb, as we will be gathered together for eternity with God as a part of that that family these are these are yet coming the table in the future that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel so there's a table that they're sitting at there's a table yet to come there's trials in the middle and it all ends with thrones pretty great sounds like a good deal how do i cash in on that how do i Get a piece of that action. Kind of interesting, this just a small side note for the, the Bible studiers in here, right? Uh, looking at your theology and whatnot. He does say that, uh, that they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel, yet future. And we do read in the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, at verse 14, this is the back of your Bible, la la second to last chapter, describing the, the new heavens and new earth and the new Jerusalem. And it says that it will have 12 gates. The gates, these big structures made out of pearl where people go in and out. And the 12 gates 
will be the 12 tribes of Israel, but they will sit on 12 foundations, and the foundations will be the apostles of Jesus Christ. And so there's coming a day where they will judge and they will, they will be the foundation of everything. We, the church, will be the heart, the bedrock of Christianity and a relationship with Jesus Christ that all may enter that, that come through on this foundation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I'll touch on that a second time in just a minute here. It's interesting in Revelation chapter 3 in verse 21, I think I've got this one marked here, uh, we read, and this is the church in uh, Laodicea, the last church, the lukewarm church. And Jesus says, I'm outside, I'm knocking, I'd come in. If you'd open up the door, I'd come in and dine with you and you with me. We'll have some table time together. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father in heaven. And so there's a promise, even in the last days, the last days church. I believe my conviction, we are living in the last days. This is the time of the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the church that is falling away. But in that same passage is the church of Philadelphia, small with little strength, but faithful in his word and in his name and going out through the open door that God gives him. But there's still time. There's still time for those who would open the door and invite Christ in, that he would come and dine with us and we would break bread. We would have that eternal communion with him. Goes on in verse 31, and that kind of in his answer to greatness, interesting kind of thing happening here. Now, we get verse 31 in your Bible, but this Bible wasn't written with verses, and the, and the sentence rolls on. I'll start at verse 29, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Lord said to Simon, or the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan had asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Kind of an interesting turn of events here as they're all sitting at the table. And one of the things that I just thought in my mind, and I don't know, there's no way for me to support this, but I wonder if Simon wasn't the leader of the <coughs> who's greatest group. Often he does show up in the scriptures as one who kind of blurts out and says things uh, that maybe he hasn't fully formed in his mind, and, and maybe he's thinking, well, you know, I'm the leader, I, I, I'm, the, I, I'm, I'm the guy. We, a lot of times, you know, the church usually calls Peter, the, the leader of the apostles, right? We, we call him that. So I get it if he thinks he's that, but the Lord <laughs> says it differently. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Simon, Simon, anytime you hear a name repeated twice, that's for emphasis, Jesus doesn't just waste that. He's really making sure he gets his attention. 
The last couple weeks, we've had our grandson Levi with us. We've been giving him swimming lessons so he could be drown-proof. But Grandpa and Grandma are, are kind of like, Levi, Levi, maybe Levi, 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 Levi. <laughs> the, the point is, I'm getting your attention right now. And it's interesting, he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon, his, his name, his, his birth name, the name mommy and daddy gave him. That means hearing. Simon, you're hearing, you're attentive, you're tuned in, you're listening. Kind of ironic that you would have to say, hearing, 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 I'm talking to you. But that's basically what's going on here. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Now, Peter had great faith. Simon Peter had great faith. In Matthew's gospel, in uh, chapter 16, up in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus is asking all the disciples in this passage, who is it that people say that I am? And verse 15b, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Verse 16 of Matthew 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You're blessed. You didn't think this up. It's not that you're bright or brilliant or great, but you are blessed because God revealed this to you. And that is blessed. Has God revealed to you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? He is Lord and Savior of the world? He's your Savior? And not only has He died to bury your sins, but He's rose again to lead the way into heaven for you. Can you make that confession? If you can, God is the one who's revealed that to your heart. You are blessed. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he goes on, Jesus, in verse 18, and I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades should not prevail against it. Peter, Petros in the Greek, it means rock. I've just changed your name from hearing to rock. Cephas, he's also called, that's the Aramaic, that would be the kind of, the, the casual tongue they would all talk in they'd call him cephas so you can find him in the bible in three different names peter simon cephas peter and cephas mean rock and this is the the solid foundation of the church jesus says on this foundation on this solid rock on your confession that i am the christ the son of the living god that's the foundation that I'm going to build my church. And then we'll put the gates of Israel up there and people can go in and out. But you're the foundation. This is where it really the rubber meets the road, right? This is the, the, the solid rock. It's interesting as Simon Peter is hearing all this, I wonder if he could remember back, not that far back, to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 7, 
at verse 24, Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount. What it's like to be a child of God. What it's like to be a king's kid. What the kingdom of heaven is like. And in verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears... Does that sound familiar? Simon, you listening? Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine hears, did you hear? Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its destruction. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. Who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. Well, I'm the greatest. I'm, I'm the greatest. Well, why did he let Judas sit next to him? That's the place of honor. Why did he pick Judas for that? And what's up with John leaning on his breast? How can he get to be so buddy-buddy and everybody's just picking each other apart? It's so human of us. I call it the crab syndrome. You know how they fish for crab? I know you do. You used to be a crab fisherman. Maybe you've watched uh, some of these TV shows uh, up in the Gulf of Alaska catching crab, right? But they'll get a bait box, big wire cage, and they'll fill it with bits of scraps of dead fish and whatnot. The stinkier, the better, because the smell drifts, and the crabs come from all around to climb into the crab pot. Something interesting about crab pots. Now, I know the greatest catch or whatever, deadliest catch, they have a lid on those. But most crab pots, standard crab pots, they don't even have a lid on them. They just they dangle in the water. There's a boy. You go over. You start pulling up the rope. And there's all the crabs. None of them ran away. You know why not? Because they pick at each other. And they w one starts climbing to escape, and the other ones just grab it down and bring it down. And the next one starts climbing and they grab it and bring it down. And it's that crab condition that happens to so many of us. Somehow we get it in our mind that in order to become great, to improve my self-esteem or standing amongst my peers, I could do something really difficult, costly, challenging i could pour myself out or i could just pull them down and i'll be on top and that's what crabs do they take the easy right out and they just pull people down around them and when you start seeing people just taking pot shots at one another just know that's not of the holy spirit each one of us is created in the image of god from the foundation of the earth god had plans for them good things that they should walk in them 
And we are here to encourage one another, to support one another, to push each other up. Get to the bottom of the pile and push. That's our job. That's the picture. Well, here, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, right? When they would lean the wheat and thresh it and let all the chaff fall through, kind of like shifting sand, kind of like that house built upon the sand. Satan wants to get in there and whisper to you, don't listen to those words. Don't listen to the Lord. Don't follow him. He doesn't know where he's. Look, he's a loser. This is why Judas betrayed him in the first place. He wanted more money. He wanted power. He wanted prestige. He wanted to be at the top of the pile in the kingdom. And this kingdom thing ain't working out. They're going to kill the guy. I'm, gonna, I don't, I'm, like, I'm not going to have a job. Three years now I've been hanging out with this guy thinking I'm going to get a good position in his ministration whenever he comes to power. And all of a sudden I see it falling down. Well, maybe at least I can cash in a little bit, 30 pieces of silver. It's better than nothing. There's Judas for you. Total betrayer. And Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, there's a beautiful thing in this. And you, if you think about it, and it kind of shows you how short-sighted Satan can be quite often. But do you know what happens when you sift wheat? All the useless stuff goes away. And you keep the good stuff. And yet that's what Satan's do. He's just trying to sift everything out of your life and, and mess with you. We have a beautiful picture of it in the Bible in the book of Job. Job, a uh, uh, a righteous man, upright in all that he does. Nothing wrong with Job at all. And Satan says, yeah, if you take away all of the blessings that you pour on him, he'll curse you. God says, you're on. And it's a showdown. Only Job doesn't know it. And Satan gets permission to sift him like wheat. But if you've read the book of Job, I mean, it's, it's rough. What he goes through, probably worse than pretty much any of us in this room. And I know we're all going through issues in life, and I'm not, I'm not even discounting some of the issues that we've got going on in this room. We're talking about terminal cancer, divorce, children just running away from the Lord, all kinds of substance abuse that we're fighting with. I mean, Satan is working this room, and yet nothing you could pile us all together, probably wouldn't add up to what Job went through. And yet, he did not curse God. Though he slay me, yet I shall worship him. Who else are you going to worship? He's God. It's his prerogative. Even if he created you just to flick you into the fires of hell, he's still God. He could do that if he wants. He's God. But that's not what he wants. What he wants is to have a relationship with you, to love you. And that's why he would send his son in your place, that you could have that relationship. Well, Satan has prayed for you that you're, but I have prayed for you. I'm sorry, <laughs> not Satan. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. There's a little four-letter word in there. If you are in the habit of marking in your Bible, please put a little line or circle around when. When. Look at this. 
I have prayed for you. We know from the book of Hebrews that Jesus ever lives to intercede for the saints. He's praying for you right now. Has been, always will be. Jesus is praying. And Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. That should encourage you when you're having these moments of doubt, this, these trust issues. Things don't seem right. I mean, they, look, they really look the opposite of anything godly. Your faith should not fail. And when, not if, not if, when you have returned to me. Jesus will pray before the evening is over in just a couple minutes, if you were to take the evening that we're in right now, and he would pray to his father. All these you have given me, I have lost none of them except for the son of perdition who goes the way as it was told. Nobody can snatch you out of God's hands when you return to him. Then you got work to do. Then you got work to do. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be a position of power. Your job, strengthen the brethren. Find your way to the bottom of the pile and start pushing one another up. Lifting everybody up. That's what's going to happen. And it happens to you. It happens to me. It happened to Pete. It goes on. This is a picture here. Verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter. Now he's calling him Peter. Right? I've prayed for you, and when you return, I'm telling you, right? You're the rock. I'm telling you, Peter. This is a word of encouragement. He's bolstering him. He's encouraging him. I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times, or before you will deny three times that you know me. How is that encouraging? When you return to me, strengthen the brethren. You're going to fall. And if you think you got this, I'm done with that addiction. I'm done with that fear. I'm done with that worry. I'm done with those issues. Don't be so sure. But know this, God is not done with you. And when you return, you get back to work. If you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, strengthening the brethren, we wouldn't have this issue. But Pete, you're a little bit going on the big side here, going big, Pete. I tell you, Peter, the, or, uh, he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. How many of you would say you're ready to go to prison for Jesus? Okay, I th I'll, I'll take that as a fair answer. It's not appealing to, I don't think, anybody. How many of you would die for Jesus? You're going to get a chance. That's the, that's the thing about life. It's appointed unto man once 
to die, then comes the judgment. And when you die, what are you going to die for? You can, you can fix it right now. What are you living for? Because if you are living for Christ, by default, when you die, you die for Christ. So the trick is just to strengthen the brethren. Don't worry about going to prison. Don't worry about dying. That, that's, that's not the issue. The issue, you're, you're, you're looking at the wrong things. And, and it's, it's something that we have to be careful. It's our ego, right? It's our pride. This is center stage right here as Jesus is talking with these disciples. In just a couple hours, he'll be hanging from the cross. And he knows this is probably the if there's anything that I need to leave with you. You need to humble yourself. You need to pour yourself out. You need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. It's going to mean a lot more to them 24 hours from now. I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me, will deny three times that you know me. Okay, and it's already evening. And through the course of the evening, the rooster's going to crow. We're going to see this come about, but not if I don't keep moving. In fact, we're not going to get there today. It was my intention to get on down to uh, the end of 62 where Peter does deny. But we're going to have to do that next week. Yeah, wow. Ambitious, huh? <laughs> Who do I? That's all right. I won't tell anybody, Jerry, that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair <laughs> that's how we roll we is us right this is what we do okay verse 35 and he said to them okay so he's already told kind of put peter in his place and he said to them so he's addressing the group again when i sent you without money bag knapsack and sandals did you lack anything and though, so they said, nothing. You can read that back in Luke in chapter, uh, is that, 9 and 10. First he sent out the 12, then he sent out the 70. They went out witnessing. They saw, uh, you know, people raised from the dead and wonderful, fantastic miracles. And Jesus would have to say to them, don't rejoice that you, you know, saw all these miracles. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Keep it really simple. I've already saved you and whatever you think that is great that you did and you know what that's wonderful that you raised somebody from the dead raise your hand everybody that's raised somebody from the dead that'd be something to crow about that'd be something to say whoo ha i raised somebody from the dead or healed somebody or spoke a word of prophecy to somebody these are all miraculous wonderful things to be taking part in but that's not what you glory in because the reality is god does all those things you don't raise the dead god raises the dead he may have used you as a vessel but god gets the glory you be grateful that your name is written in the lamb's book of life he's paid your debt you're heaven bound and then he allows you to do amazing things in his name 
And that's wonderful. And we should be busy about that. Strengthen the brethren. Get back to work. Preach the word. Build the kingdom. Tell people about me. I'm coming soon. We don't have a lot of time to dilly-dally, right? We're in these last days, you know. You want to go to heaven? Let me introduce you to my Jesus. Because this is how that works. And we want to be busy about that. But did you lack anything? No, we didn't lack anything. You took good care of us. Okay, something as simple as just going out on the road and having a meal provided for you. Somebody took you into their home, you know, gave you a cup of cold water. I took care of you then. But it does say now, verse 36, then he said to them, but now. That was then. This is now. You know the eight last words of a dying church? We have never done it that way before. You get in a rut. Well, God does it this way every time. We, we, we put our hands out and we get excited or, or whatever you do. God does what God does, when he does, how he does, according to his timetable and his schedule. Our job is to be hearing, yes, Lord, speak, your servant hears, and doing whatever he says to do. Love the brethren. <laughs> and, and, and there's kind of that picture here. But he says, but now, things have changed just a little bit. He who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Like, it's not just enough that you don't have a weapon to defend yourself. If you don't have one, get one. Now, this is Jesus speaking. I'm not going to go off Second Amendment on you. I could, but I won't. But there is a place for hearing and heeding the Holy Spirit. And what he did in 1776 to a bunch of colonists gathered together being just shoved down by this world empire, this despot of a king that may or may not be now. You really, really, really need to listen to what God's saying. You really do. And what God may say to you, he might not say to her. And what God says to you, both of you, he might not say to me in terms of how we might respond. But these 12 in this room, he's giving this Advice, get yourself a weapon. Be prepared. I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. We're going to, I wanted to go a little bit farther and I'm not going to go be able to get that far. So I'm going to kind of spill a little bit of the beans and then we'll cover it again next time around. But there is going to be some sword play coming into view here. There'll be a little bit of uh, action with that sword. 
I would I would say, and I this is spiritualizing. I'm kind of using metaphors, allegorizing for a minute here, but y'all do have a sword, right? The word of God. Okay, it's sharper even. It's even sharper than any two-edged sword. And we need to be wise in wielding that. We read in Ephesians how we put on the full armor of God and we use the sword, which is the word of God, to go out into a world that's contrary to us, that's, that's alien to us. And I'm going to develop how we use that sword more next week. But if you don't have a sword, if you don't have the word, then sell your shirt and buy a Bible. That's taking quite a bit of liberty with this passage and application. But if you don't, do it. Get yourself a Bible. Make sure you know how to use it. Read it. Hear it. Do it. Share it. This is going to be important for these guys in the days ahead. And it's going to be incredibly important for us as a church. Springs family. We need to be out there in a world that is contrary to us, sharing the good news, the gospel of peace. You know, our, our feet shod with that. Everywhere we go, we're bringing peace and joy and hope in Jesus Christ. And we do it through his word, through the sword of his word. And we need to be, we need to be competent in how to use it. I love what we used to do in Awanas, and I don't know where we're on break right now with King's Kids, uh, the King's Kids Clubhouse, but when we get started again, they do what they call sword drills. Any of you know what a sword drill is in a children's ministry? I'll just say a, a verse, and I'll say, well, look up John 3.16. And you're like, I know it, I know it. No, I don't care if you know it. Find it. And the first person who can show it to me, that's a sword drill. And you do this with the kids. You pick a verse. You shout it out. And the kids are busy looking through their Bible. You know what you have to do to do that? You have to know your books of the Bible. You know what chapters are, what verses are. And as you grow, you get to be a really good swordsman, okay? Handling properly, rightly dividing the word of God. And so it's important. I would strongly encourage you to become very competent with your Bible. I know most of you are, and I know I'm preaching to the crowd. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up right now, and that'll help me stop. But as we close in this passage, who's the greatest? Man, humble out. You're, you're going you're gonna to sit and judge Israel. That's true. But it's on that foundation, that confession that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. You aren't. You're a follower of him. And as you just would... Go out into the world and hear and then say, speak, shout from the rooftops, Jesus is Lord. Then you're going you're gonna to start having impact in the world. And you know what's going to happen? You'll have a bullseye on your back and Satan's going to come for you to sift you. But that's okay. Jesus is praying for you. As we talked about last week, he who is in you, Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, Satan. You don't have to worry, but you do have a bullseye and there are going to be darts flying. And the way that you battle is to make sure that you've got your shield on 
that your faith is secure. You've got your helmet on. Your salvation is secure. Your feet shod. You're going forward in peace. You're, you're moving out purposefully into this world, but you're taking along with you the word of God. Active, powerful, alive, sharp. And you just put that word out and let God do what he wants to do with it. Next verse, which is next week. Oh, I guess I didn't finish this verse, this passage. I, ha- I better finish it. You guys stand up there and look pretty for a while. Verse 37. For I say to you that, that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And, he, and now he quotes out of Isaiah 53. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. I just want to take you really quickly to Isaiah 53, and that's what we're going to close on. But talking about tables and trials and thrones, writing 700 years prior to this Last Supper, this evening with the disciples, this this encouragement that Satan has asked for you, and when you walk through it, get back to work. We read about Jesus in Isaiah 53, verse 7, beginning to read. And he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before a shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, this one just rocks my world out of all of Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was part of the plan before God even spoke the word light and light was. He said, you know, son, we're going to do this thing. And it's going to cause you to be bruised. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Things get bright. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. There's a portion of the great. Not only awaiting Jesus, 
but all who would follow in his footsteps, you and I. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That's what Jesus just quoted them. I have something that needs to be accomplished. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. As we go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 37, for I say to you that that which is written must still be accomplished. I must be stricken. I must be afflicted. I must be bruised. I must be made a sacrifice for your sin. He's telling them that night in this room, and they know this passage. And he's telling them everything that's about to happen. Everything that is written must be accomplished for the things concerning me have an end. That word accomplish, it's the Greek word teleos. And everything having an end, it's the same root word. And the root for that word, everything will have a goal. It'll all have a sum. It'll all have a toll. It all has a cost. These things that are written are going to cost. There's a debt to be paid. I've got to go pay the debt. And he did. Verse 38, in closing, so they said, Lord, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. It's enough. I know as we go through this passage, I have high hopes of going faster. But I just don't know how to pick up the pace any quicker on such holy ground. These are, these are things I pray that we, we really take to heart. That we could become poor. We could pour out for others and lift up one another. I, bl- I pray that we learn this lesson. Peter's going to learn it. He's going to learn it the hard way, but he's going to learn it. And you and I can learn it too. I know we've been through a couple of trials, but we're not done. There's a package of trials in front of us. But there's a throne beyond those trials. Father God, I want to thank you for this morning and this opportunity once again to come to you and your word, which is alive, and have it do surgery on our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would look into our souls and see if there's anything in our heart that is um, needing work. And I know you're patient with us, you're gentle with us, You continue that work that you began in us one step at a time, one day at a time, one piece at a time. But I do ask this morning right now, show me. Show me the piece that I need to deal with now. That one. And I ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide. Cleanse me. Renew me. Make me whole in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.
But our heart's purpose when we come to the table, when we come to Jesus, is to just say, here I am, a sinner. Have mercy on me. And know that he receives those, just like that tax collector that he watched this week um, who, who had a humble heart. So this is our opportunity, just to get right with God, examine our heart. Is it I, Lord? And you know, this is a beautiful thing about that prayer. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, could you show me something that's not right in my life? Could you show me somebody I need to forgive? Even as you pray that prayer, bam. That's one of those prayers God just answers like right away. Oh yeah, this is what you need to work on. It's an easy prayer. And then all you have to do is do it. And each step of the way, he'll guide you and cleanse you and welcome you, bring you back as a child. Amen? Father God, I want to thank you for this passage of Scripture, this Passover meal, this, this remembrance of what you have done for us and are continuing to do us through us, through your Holy Spirit, your word working in our life, your promise of that meal where we'll be gathered together and all sin will be washed away. In the meantime, I pray that we would come to you with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That, Lord Jesus, we would recognize that we're, we're just humans, we're dust, but in your Holy Spirit, we're made new. And we're king's kids. We have been adopted. And that, Lord, we now have that promise of eternity with you. Help us to walk worthy. Help us to walk by your Spirit, I pray. And should you speak into our hearts things that are words of correction and encouragement, we would hear and heed. We would do. And in doing so, we would grow so close to you. I, I, I thank you again for this morning. And I pray, Lord, as you dismiss us on our way, that you would go with us and uh, lead us to people that don't know you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.